Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. And speaking about healthy, sexy bodies, I am so excited to be with Greg Braden tonight. Those of you who know anything about consciousness, about science, about transformation on the planet. You know that Greg Braden is one of, I like to say, one of our heart stars. And he has brought so much illumination. And I had a chance to moderate a panel recently at New Living Expo, and Greg was on the panel. And Greg rocked my world when I asked him what his advice to people could be from a conscious perspective about love and relationships and about sex, and he said, an orgasm a day keeps the doctor away. So I want to welcome to Modern Love Radio, Greg Braden, author, scientist, New York Times best-selling author, I must say, in the 2015 Templeton Award nominee. Greg is internationally renowned as a pioneer, bridging science, spirituality, and the what we like to think of as the real world. Welcome, Greg. Dr. Brenda, I am thrilled, beyond thrilled to be on this program. I'm a huge fan of yours. I tremendously enjoyed our uh, our panel at the, the New Living Expo, and I don't know if the big smile on my face is coming across through the uh, airwaves tonight or not, but listening to you tell the, the story of the one quote <laughs> from <laughs> from our, our entire panel, but I think there's a lot of truth to that. So so thank you for, uh, for this is the first time we've, we've worked together on the air like this, and I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Well, that was an unforgettable quote, Greg. <laughs> and I'm sure there's science behind it, too, and we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah. I want everyone to get to know you. Many of our audience members know who you are, of course. And then you're new to a fair number of people. And I want to make sure they get their heads wrapped around how you could go from being a geologist to being someone who also embraces this ever-expanding field of raising consciousness. Now, how did you do that? You know, I, I get asked that question uh, a lot. Uh, I actually did an interview, a radio interview recently, and, and the interviewer began. He said, Greg, why can't you stick with one topic? Are you, are you talking about geology, the earth, the heart, romance, relationships? He said, can't you just stick to one topic like everybody else does? And I said, you know, my books, each one, it's true. They, they speak to a different facet of our experience. But the through line is that they're all about us. It's all about our relationships to ourselves, to one another, to the earth, to the past, to the cosmos. Uh, and so in a very real sense, I have, I have stayed with a single topic. It just happens to be a really large topic. And, and I knew that wasn't the answer he was expecting. He went right to a commercial break <laughs> and he came back and, and never said another word about it. But, well, we're going to you know, cut when, you off right there, buddy. 
Yeah, well, when I was young, I, I was born and raised uh, in a very conservative community in northern Missouri, right in the middle of this big, beautiful country of ours. And science, spirituality, relationships, feelings, emotions, Dr. Brenda, those are things that we simply didn't talk about. Uh, people acknowledged they existed, but, you know, you didn't have dinner time or breakfast conversations when the family was together. And because of that, I made an assumption when I was young that everyone believed and thought the same as I did. Uh. And as a, as a child, my thinking was that I never made a distinction between science, uh, spirituality, uh, everyday life. You know, I said when we study biology, geology, chemistry, physics, whatever we want to call it, that's the little box that we put a piece of God and a piece of nature into so we can study it. And, and when we do that, we're studying one facet of this greater, mm. greater presence. And it wasn't until I was in the corporations that I discovered nothing could be further from the truth. And, and I was actually told uh, at the, the, uh, the cost of my job that I had to make a choice between the paths of, of science uh, and spirituality and I think everyone knows what choice I made because that was over 30 years ago, and I'm. Uh, and you haven't looked third... back. <laughs> well, you know, everyone learns differently. This is the thing. We all learn differently, and we all learn at different rates. Uh, and that's certainly true uh, in relationships, uh, and especially in relationships, those most intimate relationships in our lives where we share now, our homes. Now, we just homes. went from the cosmos and science, corporate America, into relationships. So everybody, track Greg, because, Greg, I want to absolutely underscore what you said. We can't separate any areas of our lives uh, or our beings because all of it is consciousness. All of it is part of this holographic field, this, this matrix, whatever you choose to call it. It's all energy, and all these pieces are connected. So as you're starting to talk relationship, which, of course, is where I want you to go because we want to see how science and consciousness can fit into the relationship area. Everyone become aware. You know, those laws of quantum physics, everything is energy. We're going to start right there. So, Greg, go right ahead. Take it away. Take us into relationships. <laughs> well, I, I think if you ask someone where we draw the line between uh, love in our lives, uh, emotions, the way that we solve our problems, in our homes and our families and, and in those most intimate relationships and what we do in the world of our jobs, our careers, and our friendships. It, it's, it's a pretty fuzzy line. Uh, what we find is that the way we deal with life in one part of our, of our world uh, has a cascade effect. If we find a way to think, <clears throat> excuse me, and a way to solve our problems uh, in our most intimate relationships, chances are those same techniques uh, are going to spill over into what happens in the boardroom with our friendships, uh, and it works uh, the other way around as well. So it, it's really it's very difficult to compartmentalize our lives the way that so many people uh, would like to do and the way that we've been conditioned to do in the past. Yeah, and if we compartmentalize, we've lost a lot of our essential energy, our life force, our power, if you will. We've lost a lot. Sure, we have. We, you know, we really me, can't fit in the box, can we? Well, we can't, uh, not successfully. People try to do it. We cannot do it successfully. And, and for me, the bottom line uh, for all of the things we'll talk about today and, and for all of my work is, is that the better we know ourselves, the better equipped we are to deal with whatever it is life brings our way. We don't exactly. always know what's going to happen in life, but the, the better we understand 
how we are literally wired. Our nervous systems are wired. Uh, we are literally, our bodies are designed to embrace tremendous amounts of change and to thrive, to become resilient and thrive in that change if we understand those relationships. Which so, is really <laughs> what your book, Resilience from the Heart, is all about. Now, for those yeah. who don't know, Resilience from the Heart was Greg's runaway bestseller, and he has a new release version of that book, which has an all-new chapter that wasn't in the original book. Now, one of the things about the new chapter that really grabbed my attention, Greg, is you're talking about this surprising discovery mm-hmm. of brain-like cells located in the human heart and the role that they play in what you were just talking about, which is personal resilience and lightness. Sure. You know, these, uh, there were a couple of discoveries that were made in the 1990s regarding the human heart, and, and this caught a lot of scientists and, and medical researchers off guard because we have been performing heart transplants, for example, since the, the 1960s and, and doing so pretty successfully. So scientists assumed the reason that they were so successful is because we knew everything there is to know about the heart. So to make new discoveries so recently, uh, and the one that you're mentioning, 1991, science discovered about 40,000 specialized cells in the human heart. Uh, the technical name for those cells is, is sensory neurites, uh, but they are essentially brain cells that are in the heart rather than the brain. And this isn't just a metaphor or new thought or new age. These cells in the heart, they literally think independently of the brain in our head. They feel independently of the brain in our head, and they remember independently of the brain in our head, and they communicate with us in a very different uh, language than we're accustomed to hearing from our, our mind and, and from, uh, from our cranial brain. So, so what you're is, saying is that Granny was right? You should follow your heart or listen to your heart or your heart knows? Well, your heart definitely knows. The key is do we know when our heart is speaking to us? How do you know when it's your heart or when it's your fear or now, when it's your ego? Yeah, what's the language of the heart when you said it speaks in a different language? Well, what the language about? of the heart, th- this is where the bridge between the ancient wisdom, uh, the indigenous traditions of the world that have preserved uh, the, the wisdom of the past, and science all come together today. Because our ancestors, and when I go to the indigenous peoples that I spend time with now in, in the Andes and, and certainly in Tibet and Bolivia and Peru and uh, India and Nepal, places like that, they, as, as young people, have been conditioned to listen, communicate, and understand this language of the heart, whereas in the West, we're largely conditioned to discount this, uh, and, and it, it, we're a very mental society. And I'm not saying it's right, wrong, good, or bad. What I'm saying is it's an incomplete way of uh, accessing the world and solving problems in the world. So our heart, part of my uh, Cherokee, uh, well, part of my background, Dr. Brenda, is, is Cherokee. We didn't talk about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's part of my, my bloodlines. And in the Cherokee tradition, there is actually a word for the wisdom of the heart. And there is no equivalent translation in English. There's not a one word that translates it. The word is Shante Ishta. Shanta Ishtan, what it means is it's the single eye of the heart that doesn't make judgments about what it sees. So when we can solve our problems or ask ourselves, uh, what is this relationship right for me? Is this job right for me? Is this health care choice that I'm making? Is this a good choice? If you ask your brain, 
your brain's going to tell you a big story with a long preamble, and it'll go all over the place. But the heart, and it'll judge like crazy because the yes, brain is that, designed well, the, to do a lot of criticism and judging. Well, a part of this is because of the subconscious mind. When we ask ourselves a question, often we are answering with the voice of of our caretakers early in life who have instilled certain beliefs within us, but they've been with us so long we don't even know it's them any longer. So we're often answering through the eyes and through the feelings and the fears of other people, our friends, our families, our religious bringing. But the single eye of the heart doesn't do that, and that is the value uh, of what is called the wisdom of the heart. It will simply state in very brief uh, uh, phrases, sometimes uh, individual words, is the way that the heart generally communicates uh, in response to very specific questions. So specificity is the key. If you want to ask your heart a question, uh, you've got to to state that question in a single sentence or a short phrase in a way that your heart can respond with a language that it's accustomed to. So uh, we can actually uh, talk about the, the techniques to be able to do this, and I'm, I'm happy to do that. But Great. to answer your well, question, the, the heart does communicate differently than than the brain does it definitely does and i know for anyone who's had that flash that flash of insight you know you're a templeton award nominee i have a friend that did all of the templeton symposiums talking to nobel laureates asking them how they made their discoveries whichever discovery led to them winning Mm -hmm. a nobel prize and they all said they had a flash they had a dream a sudden idea came. So there was something beyond just the scientific work they did with the intellect that came in a flash. They're right. asleep, Absolutely. and all of a sudden the answer to the problem comes. Yeah, so would that also to, be the heart talking? It, it is. It is, certainly. In, in the 1990s, I had the, uh, the privilege of touring uh, lecture tours with uh, Dr. Michio Kaku. I don't know if you're familiar with his work with the... Um, uh, he's a, uh, a physicist at New York University in the footsteps of Einstein, and he's yes. got a couple of tele- television programs he's, he's yes. doing now. He's a brilliant man. But he what he said, to, yeah. he is. What he said to our audience one day, he said, you know, for every great scientific discovery, although the science will bear out the discovery, where did the insight originate from for a scientist to even look into the question? Where does the question come from? And he said, if if when you talk to scientists in the back room over lunch or over dinner when, when their microphone isn't on, they will all tell you that they had an intuitive sense. They had an intuitive hit that such and such was true, and then the science is what they used to either, either prove or disprove it. So this takes us back to the very beginning of this conversation, the value of science. Uh, I'm a scientist. Scientist does not have all the answers. Science oh, I can, can only... absolutely say that, being a scientist <laughs> well, science... myself. I spent all yeah, well, my science... well, early science... years in, in the monkey lab looking at how prematurely born macaque monkeys acquired auditory and visual acuity, and it seemed like a good thing to do at the time. Mm. <laughs> well, and it, it, it was is, a foundation it, for understanding things, isn't it? Sure. It's, it's how we allow science to serve us in our lives, and all science can do is tell us the nuts and bolts of how something works. Science cannot tell us how to apply that knowledge in our lives. And this is where the wisdom comes from, the wisdom of, of 5,000 years of our indigenous ancestors 
who they weren't scientists, but they understood us and our relationship to the world, and they were able to apply those relationships. Well, in our speaking lives. of so, applying things to our lives from science, Greg, you've given us a beautiful introduction to the language of the heart how the language of the heart can give us things that the head can't, that science can't, yet all of these things have value, and we want to bring them together now. If we can talk about invisible wounds. People have invisible wounds because of what we call ACEs, early childhood, uh, adverse childhood experiences, early childhood trauma, in other words, We have people with invisible wounds all over the planet because of refugee status, wars, racism, sexism, ageism. How can we address these invisible wounds using science and the language of the heart? Well, this this is where the science comes in. Now that we know that one of the reasons that talk therapy sometimes doesn't work for people, you know, there's some some places where it works well, uh, and and places where it's not. It's because the talk therapy often is addressing the memories that we have in our brain, but it is not addressing the memories and the hurt that we have in our heart because it, it is happening on a, on a different level. And this is where the, the science uh, is showing us these sensory neurites in the heart. If we, if we communicate with them and listen to them, just like we do with, with the memories in our brain, and there are a number of different ways to do that, uh, in the interest of time and, and what we're doing here today and to honor our audience, what, what I'd like to invite people to do is just a little experiment right now. Can I do that, Dr. Brenner? Absolutely. Okay I would love it. One of the, the, the first things to communicate with our heart is that we have to move our awareness from our thinking mind into our heart. So if you say to somebody, okay, I invite you now to shift your awareness in your heart, and, and people say, okay, I'm there, <laughs> but are you really there? And, and when I ask my indigenous friends, wherever we go in the world, how they do this in their traditions, they all say the same thing, and it's something that's not taught here in, in the West. And what they say, they invite us, they say, if you can simply touch your heart center in a way that's comfortable for you, uh, that is the sternum right in the center of the chest. Uh, in Buddhist traditions, they actually put their palms together as a mudra and, and hold it there in Mayan traditions down in the Yucatan of Mexico, they use an open palm over their heart, and, and they do this in the Middle East uh, as well, or just, uh, just a fingertip, and gently touch your heart center. What happens, this is the key, when your body feels a sensation over your heart center, your awareness will automatically go to the place where you feel the touch. And this is one of the tools, the, the techniques to help us move our awareness into our heart. If you place your your fingertips over your heart center, that sensation, your awareness is going to go to the place where you feel that. Now you are shifting from your mind into your heart. That's the first step. The second step is to begin to breathe a little slower than usual, maybe five seconds inhale, five seconds exhale, uh, and to, to breathe as if the breath is coming from the heart. And what this does Dr. Brenda, it sends a powerful signal to our bodies because the only time we would slow our breathing to that pace is when we are in a place that is absolutely safe. If we feel threatened or we're not in a a safe place, we can't do that. So you're telling your body you've just, number one, shifted from the outer to the inner world. Number two, uh, you are now telling your body that you're in a place that's safe and calling your attention to the heart. And it's from this place. Uh, This is the first step 
toward a series of steps. But even with this, just these two, two things that we're talking about here, the first step to communicating with the heart. And once we're in this place, this is in, in your mind, ask the question in a single, concise sentence, is this relationship good for me? Is, it, is this healthy for me? Uh, let me just give you a, a, an example. When I'm, I learned early on, uh, I've been a musician for years, making decisions as a musician in my life, as an author, in my intimate relationships, my healthcare decisions. When you're in a relationship and you think maybe it's, it's, it's time has passed and you're trying to say, should I stay or should I go? And how do you know? And if you ask your mind, it'll, it'll, it'll tell you a million stories. But if you ask your heart three questions, and you ask that in this space, you say, number one, is this relationship healthy? Is this healthy for me? And your heart will answer, boom, almost immediately with a yes or a no. It won't tell you a story. It will be yes or no. It's binary. Is this relationship healthy for me? Number two, am I happy in this relationship? In your mind, if you ask your mind, they'll say, well, you know, sometimes on certain days it's a pretty good day, and sometimes it's, it's, your heart doesn't do that. So you've got number two, am, uh, am I happy? And number three, if the relationship isn't what you'd like it to be, whether it's a work, job, school, uh, marriage, whatever it is, finance, is it likely to change? Is it likely, is there a chance? Have I explored all the options? Is there a chance this can change? And your heart will answer. And if, if two out of those three questions come back a no, <clears throat> then the chances are it's probably time for a change doesn't mean you have to make it in that moment. What it means is your heart has given you a point of reference in your life where you know Shante Ishta. You know what is true for you in that moment. Yes, and, and I, I also like to add one more question from my perspective, Greg, because I spend all of my time teaching people in seminars, relationships, mastermind, private coaching, whatever it is, working with couples who are in distress. I ask the question, what in me needs to grow or transform? Because every relationship is also a place for us to learn and grow. Because God knows I've seen lots of people who go from relationship to relationship to relationship. And if you stick with a place where it feels difficult, and I know you talk about using relationships as a mirror. Hmm. Say more about that because I think well, that's is... one of the keys. This is fascinating to me. It's something that I learned early in my life. I actually wrote about this extensively in the early 90s. Uh, most of the books are out of print now. Uh, but it is in, in the, the part three of a book entitled The Divine Matrix. Mm-hmm. I talk about five mirrors of relationship. And, and this is where, again, our ancient wisdom comes full circle. What I found, Dr. Brenda, was that the issues that we have in our lives with our relationships in the modern world, the circumstances may change over time, but the issues don't. And we're having the same, the same problems show up in our everyday lives that people did over 2,000 years ago. And they wrote about them. And one of the places they wrote about them is in a very powerful text uh, that was originally part of, a, of the biblical canon. It was part of our biblical text until it was removed in the 4th century uh, and it was found in the Nag Hammadi Library. Ah, uh, yes, the Dead Sea Scrolls, as they were known. 
Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls are the old rec- oldest records of the Old Testament, the Nag mm-hmm. Hammadi Library, the, the oldest records of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And one of those books talks about mirrors of relationship. And I began writing about those from that perspective. So the, the mirrors, they are, there are five mirrors. They are increasingly um, sophisticated mirrors. So remember, I'm sure our listeners remember back in the 1980s, if you were surrounded by people at work or in, in your relationship that, that made you mad all the time uh, or, just, or, you know, triggered your buttons or whatever it was, then people yes. would say, they'd say, well, they're showing you your stuff. And, and that could be true, and, and I think in some cases it is. However, sometimes it's not true. It's not your stuff in that moment. And if you can honestly go into your heart and say, am I being shown my own stuff? and the answer is no, then there's a good possibility that you're experiencing the second mirror, which is not a mirror of what we are in the moment. It's the mirror of what we judge in the moment. Those people are showing us not what we have become in our lives, but the things that we judge in our lives. That's interesting because earlier when you made the point talking about the Shante Esta, that the heart, the single eye of the heart that doesn't judge so what this really is doing is pushing us back toward the wisdom of the heart so that we let go of the judgment. This is one of the keys, is our ability to, when we let go, the letting go, we can't change what happened, and I know you, you talk about this all the time. We are, the hurt often comes from the significance that we give to the experience. Yes. The significance that we give to the experience that we've had that significance is a product of our own life experience. It's what, what we've been taught, what we've heard. Um, maybe we've been in similar situations. You know, we hear this all the time. People, they have marriages, jobs, friendships. All of it falls apart, and they say, okay, I need a change. So they go to another city, new marriage, new job, new friends, and the same problems come up Recreate again. Recreate the same pattern, exactly. Sure, because because the, the brain does grab patterns, as does the nervous system, and we get in those. But the other thing is, I just want to add, for those who are saying, hey, I've been through something that, one of these invisible wounds, I've been through a trauma, those things, what Greg is saying, I believe, Greg, is that we have a pathway to healing. And this resilience of the heart, this idea is so powerful that there's a language of the heart, but you also have steps that we can use to tap the resilience in the heart, including what we did a moment ago, getting in touch with the heart, learning to ask the heart a simple question. Are there any other steps? We only have a few minutes left that you could share right now. Not that we can do justice to in this brief time, but what I'd like to say, people have said to me so many times, they say, Greg, it cannot be that simple. Uh, There's got to be more to it. And what I've said is that nature is simple, our bodies are actually very simple, uh, and science can be simple until we use very complex words and mathematics to, to make it complicated. So when we, when we honor that simplicity, when we connect with our hearts, it is like the emotional lubricant that frees the hurt from being locked as memories in these cells so that that hurt can now begin to migrate. It moves through the body so that we can heal it and, and dissipate the, the, the feelings that we have. We're no longer keeping it constricted. We are allowing it to expand and move 
yes. through the emotional lubricant of Very important. I love that word, emotional lubricant. And, Greg, again, one of the things that you said when we had a chance to uh, do the panel at New Living Expo, you talked about the fact that Darwin was mm-hmm. wrong, that we, in fact, are different from the insects and some of the animals he studied that we have other possibilities, and are we now talking about that as we're talking about the potentiality of the heart for transformation, to transform hurt, to transform wounds, to transform us in a completely different direction? How does that intersect? The statement you made, and I was very struck by that, as much as I was struck by the the statement that an orgasm a day keeps the doctor away, I was equally struck by the comment that you made that Darwin was wrong, that we are different. Well, as a geologist, as a degree geologist, what I can say is evolution is a fact for our listeners, for plants, for animals. I've seen it in the fossil record. The data does not support it for humans. The theory breaks down when it comes to us. And the DNA is telling us a new story. Now that we can actually extract DNA from ancient fossil bones of those who are believed to have come before us, were believed to come before us, mm-hmm. what we know, the bottom line is that we showed up on this earth, modern humans, 200,000 years ago. We have not changed since that time. That's not Darwin's idea of evolution. And all of the, the wiring, what I call the, the wiring, the emotional wiring, the 50% larger brain, the advanced nervous system that we have today, we had then. So we are actually... Literally, we are uh, human by design. We are wired for resilience and to be able to thrive and change if we understand how to access this potent neural network. And and now we know it's not just in the brain. It's between the brain and the heart. And this is opening a a, a whole new door, uh, a new field uh, of study that was never even considered, you know, even 10 years ago. So So I I think that's the key. When you put these things together and you think – okay, modern humans arrived on the earth with a 50% larger brain, the nervous system, the way that we have it now, we can look at DNA. We, can even, we now know we can even change some of the trauma that settles in the DNA. I was recently in Israel where they're looking at DNA and brain changes from the first all the way through the fifth generation after mm-hmm. Holocaust survivors in the same family. What is the key for you when you... Take a look, and I know this is still evolving in terms of understanding and our awareness, but what would you leave us with in terms of your understanding of how we are, maybe not evolving, but what word would you use for the process that we human beings are in? To me, it's very encouraging, Dr. Brenda, and it, it opens the door to a lot of questions. You know, if evolution is not the key, how did we get here? That, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but what it means is that we, uh, our, our very nature, uh, we are designed to not just survive, as Darwin suggested, but to thrive through whatever life brings to our doorstep. And we have all the tools, all the equipment to do it. The wiring between our heart and our mind and the emotions are like the software that run that wiring. When we can give new significance to life's deepest hurts uh, and also find a place for life's greatest joys, and we can actually incorporate those uh, in a healthy way in our nervous systems, then we move, we become resilient to the inevitable changes in our lives. The world is changing. Our lives are changing. We're not going to stop that. 
we can thrive through these changes to become better people and create a better world. And, and I think that's the good news of all the new science. And the key you're saying is being able to tap this language of the heart and maybe create a marriage of the head and the heart? It all begins in the heart. And this is what our, our ancestors have said for such a very, very long time. Uh, and now it's, it's where the wisdom of the past and the best science today is leading us. We've got to come full circle and marry the brain and the heart, two separate organs. But when we marry them together through harmonize them, through this neural network, they become one powerful neural network. And I know that sounds complex, but let me just say really quickly, by harmonizing the heart and the brain, we give ourselves access to the anti-aging hormones that keep us young and healthy, to a powerful immune system, to deep states of intuition and empathy that we need in, in our successful relationships, uh, as well as just being really good at memory, very fast processing information, and resilience to life. All of those things and more are the result of simply harmonizing the heart and the brain. Wow. So as, as well as, as we have lived our lives, my sense is we are now moving. The, the evolution is, is into the potential of what happens when we really embrace the deepest truths of who we are and what we have had all along and what that affords us in our lives. And, and in that way, we, I believe we do become better people in our homes and our families. Mm. That creates for stronger societies, and, and that is how, how nations begin to heal. Yes. And it all, comes, and all begins in the heart. It all begins in the heart. See, Grandmother was right. Yeah. Listen to your heart and follow your heart, and your heart knows. So let me tell you, everyone, how you can get more of the brilliance of Greg Braden. Go to his website, www.greg, and that's with two Gs, Greg Braden, B-R-A-D-E-N.com. Pick up the new edition. And, you know, here I encourage you, with tremendous vigor to build your library, whether you have a digital library or you have the one that's here in my office up on the wall. Get Resilience from the Heart and read that all-new chapter that isn't in the original release where Greg breaks down how we can use this new discovery of the sensory neurites in the human heart. And, Greg, thank you for bringing to us a new word. I like this word, Shante Esther. It reminds me of the Shanti in Sanskrit, which means peace. It's C-H-A-N-T-E. It's spelled a little differently. It sounds very similar. Uh, I-S-H-T-A, Shante Ista. That's beautiful. I love it. So Shante Ista to you, Greg Braden, thank you so very much for bringing a new understanding of how the head and heart can work together from a scientific perspective and from an ancient wisdom mm -hmm. perspective perspective. And Shante Easta, to you and all of our Modern Love listeners, many blessings. I love you all. Big thank you to LeGrand Green, our executive producer, to Cliff Dunning, our associate producer, and to our sponsor, Rainbow Grocery, here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Blessings, everyone. Bye.